as a young boy, I, I was pretty compliant. Um, and I thought I was pretty good. Um, and uh, I tried some stuff, <laughs> smoking and, and uh, some things that maybe if my mom and dad knew about it, that they probably wouldn't be real happy. But uh, um, God was chasing me even then, and I, and I knew it. Uh, Chrissy and I had been married maybe a uh, couple years, and we had already decided that we wanted to bring up our children when we had them in the church. We were um, both grew up in families that, that went to church. Whether they were Christians or not, I would we would both say probably not at that point in time, but we went to church every Sunday and we knew that all the stories and everything we had not really um, made a commitment to God. We thought we were Christians, but um, we, after talking about it and going to a Billy Graham movie and stuff, we decided we really had, weren't born-again Christians. And so we, we went to this movie and Christy went, went forward. I didn't. It seemed like everybody in the church, in the whole theater was going forward and I thought, and everybody is laughing and talking about all oh, this, this, you know, what am I doing? You know, and they thought it was a big joke. And so I thought, I don't want anything to do with this. This isn't very serious. So I didn't go forward. About probably two months later, there was another uh, opportunity and someone out of the blue told me about it. And, and there was uh, gonna be a, a Dwayne friend, the gospel guitar was gonna be in uh, community about 60 miles away and they said you ought to go down there and hear him so uh, Christy and I went down there and uh, sure enough he had a a um, altar call I guess you'd call it and and I went forward so God was kind of chasing me I guess I would I would say that God was chasing me I felt his pull way before this and I knew that something was missing and that there was a lot more to Christianity than just what we had been experiencing. I believed it, but I, but I believed it here. I didn't feel it. And um, so I think that's just, that's it. It's just that I didn't have it in my heart. I didn't, and I, like I said, I knew about it, but I really didn't know him. And I um, would say I had, that I believed it, but now I, Believe it with everything I have. I want to give him everything I am. I made up a, a track that's got my life, and it's it's a gospel track. And I made that up, and I, uh, on occasion, not as nearly as much as I would like to or should, but um, I give it to people to look at it and ask them what they think about it, so that. It's a good conversation starter. I still got a lot of a lot of area to, that I could be better in, but I think everybody could say that. I used to say that um, no matter, I, I can't even quote this exactly, but I would say no matter how close you get to God, you're always going to feel like there's a lot more room to get closer.
so thank you, Dave, for sharing your story. You know, the interesting thing about Dave um, and, and a lot of, of people um, experience this, unfortunately. You know, you, you heard him say, I was all in at the church. We were there every Sunday. We showed up at church every Sunday. We, we did all the stuff, right? I knew all the stories. But the way he described it was that there was a, uh, there, there was a difference between what he knew in his head and what he believed in his heart, right? And it wasn't until he surrendered to the God of the universe through the person of Jesus Christ, until he surrendered in his heart, that he became what, what Dave calls, what the Bible talks about, what Jesus says is born again in the Holy Spirit. Born again. Becoming a new person. And as that new person, it's not about going to church and, and knowing the stories and showing up and doing the things. Although Dave still does those things. Right? But he doesn't do them because that's what it is to be Christian. Right? He does them because he believes with the wholeness of his heart that, that God is real and that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior. And that belief in his heart compels him to live a life dedicated to God. See, one of the things that's true for Dave, it's true for all of us, and, and we're going to see it played out in our next signpost today, is that there is a very small yet very huge difference between obedience that is compelled and obedience that is done out of love. When I follow God out of compulsion because I think that's what I'm supposed to do, that ultimately will fall woefully short. But when I follow God out of just unadulterated love for Jesus Christ that flows through me, then that's, that's all there is. Right? And the problem is on the surface... They can look similar. Right? But Jesus tells us something. And it's something that the elders came back to time and time again on our retreat. Right? So good produce, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And so this is, this is a thing. You know, the elders, we had our retreat last weekend. Most of you know that a lot of you were praying for us. I want to say thank you for that, by the way. Your prayers were felt. Um, and, and they mattered. We had an exceptional time together. We prayed. Right? We, we sang. There were tears. Um, there was, there was accountability and, and there was discussion and, and we shared hearts and struggles and, uh, and we talked vision and what God's doing and, and we talked discipleship a lot. Discipleship, something that we know is so critically important to leading people that call this place home to be more fully devoted followers that they, they want their lives to look more and more like Jesus and it's so critically important and sometimes we do okay and sometimes we, we don't do as well as we want and we focused on that and, but, but through all of the discussion and all of the conversation and all of the devotions and all of the prayer, what it kept coming back to is this. What matters is the heart. There's only so much that can be done apart from the heart. You know what? I just looked up and, and I saw Nicole holding a baby and we forgot to celebrate that. Um, I mean, I know like a lot, a lot of you are like, oh yeah, we've all had babies. Yeah, I know. But this one's brand new. Um, and some of you are thinking, I didn't even know she was pregnant. <laughs> she wasn't. 
It's weird right now. Uh, ben and Nicole and their family have just adopted, kind of out of the blue, um, a brand new little girl, Cassidy Faith. And so uh, make sure you congratulate them. Also, Kevin and Deb and Mike and Shelly and uh, especially Allie because there's, there's a girl there's a girl. Anyway, make sure you congratulate them. Congratulations, guys. That's awesome. The way that God has led you um, to that. Anyway, we were talking about something else. It was the heart. Because it matters. Right? All of our prayer, all of our discussion, all of that kept coming back to the heart. The heart matters. Right? That's not a surprise, right? Jesus had that encounter all the time, right? There were Pharisees that looked religious. Scribes, teachers of the law that looked religious. In fact, he said, you praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So this is in Jesus' way of saying, look, look, what you do on the outside isn't necessarily what matters, but it's the overflow of the heart that's going to pour out. What's in there is what matters. And if what's in there is good and is pure and is dedicated to God and is in love with Jesus Christ, then that will come out. If it's not, then eventually that'll show itself too. You can only fake it for so long. I mean, you could fake it. You could fake it. People fake it all the time. But you can only fake it for so long. And Jesus says, man, what's stored up in the heart, the treasury of a heart, that's going to come out of your mouth. It's going to come out of your behavior. It's going to show up. And you know where it shows up? It shows up when the struggle gets real. Right? I mean, I've known people um, that trust God when their life looks great. And then as soon as their life gets hard, right, What's in their heart kind of starts to pour out a little bit, and it's not trust. It's doubt, and it's, it's anger, and it's frustration, and, and, and so there's no trust. I've known people that trust God with their finances when checks are coming in regularly and bills aren't too bad. Right? But let's be honest. Well, it's never easy to tithe. It's much easier to tithe when the rest of my life looks great and when all things are falling in place. But as soon as there's repairs to the car, or something bad happens, or there's this... Um, planned for expense or whatever. You know what? All of a sudden, uh, what's in my heart, which was not always sure, that makes it hard to follow through. It makes it hard to be obedient. See, there's this weird thing that we're going to see in Scripture today as we, as we continue with our signposts where we're going to see that God actually demands obedience. At the same time God demands obedience, he says, I'm more concerned with what's in your heart than how you behave. Right? But where does that show up? What's in my heart shows up in my obedience. It shows up in my action. It shows up in what I say. It shows up in what I do. James says it this way. You say you have faith. That's awesome. Right? But don't show me your faith just with your words. Show me your faith with your deeds. Right? If you say to a Christian brother or sister who's hungry or cold or in poverty and, and in struggle, and you're like, hey, good luck, man. God's good. Now get out there and take care of it. And you walk away. He says, what good is that? What profit is that? Right? But, but our heart comes through with our obedience. And this is the struggle that we have. This is, is, is the wrestle where we say it's not about what you do, it's about what's in your heart, but at the same time, your obedience matters. And we're going to see how this plays out. 
right? And we've seen um, what's going on here with our signposts, right? Over the last few weeks, we've seen, right, that God has made a plan to win the world back to himself, to redeem it. And he sets that plan in motion with Abraham, and he calls him um, to stand apart. And he says, I'll grow you into this special nation, my prized possession. And, and, and Abraham has children who have children who have children, and, and over the course of time, um, they are as numerous as a nation. From this one individual, this one family, they are as numerous as a nation, but through circumstances, they end up being slaves in Egypt. And Pastor David talked to us about God being faithful in the Exodus and calling his people out of slavery in Egypt um, and, and bringing them together as a nation. And then Mark, last week when we were on retreat, Mark, didn't he do such a great job? Thanks, Mark. Um, but Mark did such a great job talking to us about how God has this one moment where once he gathers all of Israel together, he establishes a covenant with them. And in establishing that covenant with them, he actually institutes them from a, a group of people into a nation of people. For a very specific purpose, right? So let's track this a little bit by way of review. Um, Deuteronomy 28. If you fully obey, this is what God says through Moses. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all the commandments that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the world. You will experience all of the blessings if... You obey the Lord your God. And then he goes on in Deuteronomy 28 to list those blessings. We're talking, you'll have blessings in having children. You'll have blessings in children actually being a blessing. Right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You'll have blessings in finances. You'll have blessings with your crops. You'll have blessings with your livestock. When enemies come against you, you will defeat them soundly. God will protect you. You will have all of these blessings. But if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God, if you do not obey all of the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all of these curses will come and overwhelm you. Right? And he talks about famine. Talks about drought. Talks about difficulty in childbearing. Talks about rulers that will rule over you poorly talks about nations and enemies that will come against you and that will oppress you and that will put you in slavery. Right? So, so God very clearly lays out with this covenant, look, here's what I'm offering. If you follow me, if you obey me, and it flows from your heart, I will bless your socks off. If you don't, right, then I will bring discipline and problems on you. Now, the reason that God brings discipline and problems is it because he's mad at you, right? We see this throughout the story of scripture. It's because he's correcting, right? When God brings discipline, when God allows curses, when God brings these things, it's always a matter of bringing somebody's heart back to a point where it says, okay, God, I surrender to you. That's always the point. But this is the covenant, Right? This is the covenant that God enters into. We read about it in Exodus 19. If you obey me, keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure. See, here's the thing. God didn't enter into this covenant with Israel because Israel was awesome. Right? God didn't enter into this covenant with Israel because he really, really liked Abraham. 
right? God entered into this covenant with Israel because he had a plan of redemption. We talked about that all the way back in week four of this. The signpost, the hope of redemption. God entered into this covenant with Israel because he wants to accomplish something through them. So here's what he says. If you obey me and keep my covenant, right, you'll be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth, right? And he says it's among all the peoples on the earth because it all belongs to me. He could have chosen anyone. He could have done this anyway, but he says, Israel, I'm choosing you. I'm picking you. You are going to be my special treasure. Why? Because you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. God says to Moses, that's the message you give the people. I am not going to bless them so they can sit back and live the good life. I'm not going to bless them because they're better than anybody else. I'm not going to bless them. I'm not going to give them all of this privilege because I just like them better. But I entered into a covenant with them and I asked for obedience because if out of their heart flows obedience, then here's what will happen. They will be a nation of holy priests. Right? And as a nation of holy priests, they will communicate who I am to the rest of the world. And my plan of redemption will move forward. That's what this is about. Like, church isn't... I mean, that's what we are as a church. We are, we are this holy people set apart by God, made right by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. We are set apart. We are supposed to be a holy people, a royal priesthood that shows the world what God is like. That's what Israel was. That's what we are. That's our heart's desire, right? This is the point. This is why the covenant exists. And, and, and you know, there's a problem though, okay? Now listen, I know some of you... <clears throat> Some of you have an easy time with this. Some of you have a hard time with this. But let's go back to signpost three. We broke the world. We sinned and we jacked it up. We are now broken people. Sin is real. We are all broken. And it's not just us, but our communities and our world is broken. And so God does something for his special people. As part of the covenant, he institutes this thing called sacrifice. Oh man, where are we at? I skipped a couple things. It says, here's what you do. When you come and bring a sacrifice, he gives these instructions. And he gives these instructions a lot in the book of Leviticus. It must be a male with no defects. Lay your hand on the animal's head. And the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you. It'll make you right with him. Right? And then you slaughter the animal in the Lord's presence and you present the animal's blood by splattering it against all sides of the altar. And you're like, that's gross. Yeah, I know. Right? It's part of the lesson that redemption costs blood. Sin is serious. But in this, God is doing something. Right? And this is outward. Anybody could bring an animal, but remember what flows from the heart is what matters. Right? And so what would happen is People that were broken by the fact that they were sinful, that they were not right before God, would bring an animal to the altar and they would cry out to God and say, God, I'm broken. I'm wrong and you're right. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy to be called your daughter. You ever felt like that? 
Like, God, I am not worthy. I'm not worth anything. And God says, I know you feel that way. You feel that way because sin is in your life. You feel that way because of shame. You feel that way because of regret. You feel that way because of this thing that happened way back in the garden that separates you and me. And he says, but I, I love you and I make provision. And for this covenant commitment with Israel, the provision was the animal. You touch the animal. See, they, they were used to sacrifices. Sacrifices aren't new with God and Israel. Right? Sacrifices didn't just start when God told Moses about this law. Sacrifices had always happened, right? People had always sacrificed to their false idols and their false gods. But here's how they did it. They sacrificed thinking, gods are mean. They're out to get us. And they will have their pound of flesh. So perhaps if we sacrifice this bull and say, please take the bull, um, then perhaps they'll be satisfied enough that they won't come after me personally. That's what sacrifices were. Or they were like, hey, we really want something. We really want it to rain. So we're going to give the gods a sacrifice and say, look how much we're doing for you, God. This should make you happy. Now give us what we want. But when, when Yahweh... When the great I am institutes sacrifice here, it's not about appeasing. It's, it's not about any of that. What it, it's not about getting what you want. Instead, what he does is he says, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. I know you feel lost. I know you feel worthless. It's about Yahweh, the God of the universe, saying, I, I know you feel like you can't live up. I know you're feeling like you're not good enough. I know the feeling of shame that you wrestle with over the mistakes that you've made. But look, I'm making a way for you to be different. And ultimately, we're going to get to Jesus Christ who does that permanently. But, but first, in steps, he, he introduces the sacrificial system. He says, take your hands and put them on the bull's head. Symbolically transferring your shame, your guilt what you owe, what you know in your heart that you owe, and give it, right? Let the animal be guilty and bask in, bask in my presence. And so that's what they did. They, out of the, the inward, like you could go through the motions and do that and it would mean nothing, right? You could go through the motions and do that and it could mean nothing. But if it came out of your heart from the wellspring of a heart that wants to be right with God and you say, God, in sorrow, I am so sorry. Cleanse me. Make me right. Fix me. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. And, and, and the animal was sacrificed and the freedom that God gives his mind and I'm in his presence and we experience this and it's not just freedom with me but it's freedom in the community and all of a sudden we can be a special nation set apart to be holy priests that tell people about a good God that loves them and wants to take away their guilt and their shame and that was the point of the covenant that's what it was supposed to do 
right? You know, it's not just this thing. Like, we go through the motions sometimes when we learn Scripture. Like, you all know this story if you've been in church for, for any, any length of time. You know that Israel is God's chosen people. But listen, feel the heart of this. This is God's heart for a lost and broken world. And he says, I pick you to show them what this is. And so put the sin on there and I will cleanse you. And it'll be right. And you can be in a relationship with me. And you can be free from all of that guilt that's supposed to be good. But it has to come from the heart. And that's the signpost we get to today. I know you're like, man, that's a long introduction, Matt. (laughs) I know. But the signpost we get to today is what happens when the heart is right as opposed to what happens when the heart is not right. The signpost today is wandering and conquering. Two different outcomes. It's the same God, the same command, the same provision, the same covenant, the same God who was always the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. God who never changes is the same. But what we see is when the heart is wrong, right? When the heart is not right, out of the wellspring of a heart, a man speaks and he acts. When the heart is wrong, we get disobedience and consequence. When the heart is right, we get oneness with God and blessing. And so we're going to see that. You can open up your Bibles to Numbers. We're going we're gonna to look at a lot of scripture here in a short amount of time because it's all part of the same narrative, right? So open up your Bibles to Numbers. And this is what happens. After they leave Mount Sinai, when God institutes the covenant, right, God says to Moses, um, well, here, let me say this. They, they find themselves in this place. doesn't matter, but who doesn't want to know this? It's called Kadesh Barnea, right? Kadesh Barnea is this place where they find themselves, and basically it's right on the other side of the promised land. Remember the promised land? God told Abraham way, 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 way back in signpost four, hey, pack up and go. I'm going to show you a land that you will own that your descendants will own. It will be your homeland and you will be this holy nation. That's what we've been talking about, that God is setting Israel apart to be a holy nation. And and they've been leaving Egypt and they stopped at the Mount Sinai to get the official covenant and the blessings and the curses and all the warnings. And, And now they get to Kadesh Barnea and God says, just over there, that's the land I promised to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the land. Now you're gonna go get it because I promised And you are my holy people, priests who are going to show a world that I love them and I want redemption for them. So he says, here's what you're going to do. He tests their heart though a little bit. He says, Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each tribe of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses gives them this decree. God says, go in, see what the land is like. Find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of law or see what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Right? Like God promised it would be a land flowing with milk and honey, whatever that means. But go check it out and see if it's going to be awesome. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls? Are they unprotected? Like they live in open camps? Are they fortified? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there lots of trees? Like, I mean, this is a pretty extensive list that Moses, it's like, go make a report. And the people come back and they say, Moses, the land is 
cherry. Is that still a thing people say? If it is, then the land was cherry. If it's not, it was very, very good. <laughs> says, we entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, here's the kind of fruit it produces. And they, they pull out grapes because it was time for the first fruits to be blooming at that point. And they pull it out and they say, here's the fruit that it produces. But instead of feeling great about that, here's what they say. Moses, there's a problem. The people living there are powerful. And their towns are large. And they are fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. We even saw giants there. They continued. We cannot. Right? Now, God brought you here and said, go get it. I got it for you. It's your inheritance. I've prepared it for you. I'm with you. I will take care of it. Just go in there. Right? Out of the wellspring of the heart is what comes out. And I'm asking you, if your heart is right, just to trust me and be obedient. But they say, no, no, no. Man, listen, we can't. We can't go up against them. Why? Because they're stronger than we are. And they were. Physically. They were stronger. They were more in number. They lived in fortified towns, fortified cities. They were bigger. They had more weapons. And the people saw that and they said, we cannot go up against them. If we go up against them, we'll lose. So what they did is they spread a false report. They spread a bad report amongst all of the Israelites, all of the hundreds of thousands of people. They spread a bad report. Here's what it said. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone that goes there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. So basically saying next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And when they looked at us, they kind of thought we were grasshoppers too. They were that huge and scary. We can't go take it. Now there were two spies, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb would say, oh, time out. Oh, no, wait, let's go back. Man, I skipped ahead. No, before that, um, they spread this false report amongst the community. And the community bites, line, hook, sinker. They bite and they weep. They're like, this is terrible. This is tragic. Their voices rose in the great chorus of protest. If only we had died in Egypt. Or if we just starved to death here in the wilderness, that would have been better. I mean, they're a little dramatic. It's like they're in middle school almost. (laughs) With all respect to middle school students. But I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your friends. And you know. You know I'm right. Oh, it's terrible. If only we had starved to death in the wilderness, that would have been better than where we are now. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? All of our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt where they tried to kill us and we were slaves, where they were throwing our babies in the Nile River to drown them? Wouldn't that be better? And so they plotted. I mean, they literally plotted amongst themselves. Let's get rid of Moses. Let's pick a new leader. Let's go back to Egypt. 
But this is where Joshua and Caleb say, no, listen, you guys are crazy. They go back, like, do you know how strong God is? If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into the land and he'll give it to us. It's rich, flowing with milk and honey. Don't rebel against God. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey for us. I love that. Yeah, they're giants. Yeah, they lived in fortified cities. Yes, they've got weapons and armor and they're huge and they outnumber us. They are helpless prey. Why? They have no protection. Um... Joshua, Caleb, what about the armor and the fortified cities? No, no, no. They have no protection because the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Joshua and Caleb say, look, it's going to be good. Let's take it. But their hearts are wrong and they rebel and they refuse. And because they rebel and they refuse, what happens? What did God say he would do? That he would bring curses. So God brings curses, and, and there's an exchange between God and Moses where, where he tells Moses, look, I'm just going to wipe them out and start over with you. God could start over with Moses. He's still being true to Abraham because Moses is still a descendant of Abraham, and he could start over. It would take a lot more years, but what does that matter to God? He's like, I'm going to start over, and I'll make you even a better nation, and this time they'll listen. And Moses says, oh, time out, God. Don't do that. But it's not because Moses cares so much about the people. Right? We think Moses interceded for the people because he loved the people. No, no, no. Moses intercedes, but he intercedes for God's benefit. He says, God, time out. I know you're powerful. I know you can do anything you want. But these nations don't know you the way I do. And if you wipe out all the people, here's what all the nations will think. All the nations will think, well, God was powerful enough to get them out of Egypt, but he wasn't powerful enough to get them into the land, so he slaughtered them in the desert. And so Moses says, God, for your own glory's sake, because that's what's most important. He says, for your own glory's sake, don't do this thing. So God relents and says, fine, here's what will happen. He said, you said that your children would be carried off as plunder. Well, I tell you, your children, I will bring them safely into the land. They will enjoy what you have despised. You said you didn't want to go in because you were scared. Fine, you won't, but your children will. But as for you, you will drop dead in the wilderness. And your children will be like shepherds having to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness. Listen, this is not awesome. It says you didn't want to go in? Then guess what? You won't. You will become wanderers. So for 40 years, the Jews wandered in the wilderness. And in those 40 years, we read about it in, in the second half of, uh, of, uh, second half of Numbers. And, and we read recaps of it in Deuteronomy. In those 40 years, sometimes they were obedient to God. Sometimes they weren't. In those 40 years, sometimes they, they were faithful. Sometimes they grumbled and complained. But God was always faithful. God protected them for 40 years, even though he knew that ultimately that that generation that refused to go in was going to die in the wilderness. He protected the Israelites, his chosen people. He protected his plan of redemption for you. He protected it for me. He protected it for our children. He protected it for our children's children. He protected the Israelites until the new generation had risen up. The old generation had passed away. And guess what? They find themselves right back 
at Kadesh Barnea. They find themselves right back where they were to start with. And this time, now with only Joshua and Caleb as the elder statesmen remaining, because of disobedience, what came out of the heart was disobedience, and what came out of the heart was wrong, and God said, no, you will not enter the land right? Think about it, right? Like these guys had seen God. They're like, you're like, why did they get so unfaithful? They were really faithful at the Red Sea when Egypt was coming down on them and, and, and God parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land. And I would say, were they really faithful? Did they have a choice? Right? It's not like they could run away. It's not like they could choose, right? They were just stuck there. God was faithful. The Egyptian army was coming down on them. The people are panicking, but there's not a thing they can do because it's the army or the sea that will swallow them. And they're not faithful. But Moses is faithful and trusts God, and God is faithful, and he parts the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry land, right? But here, right, there's no army coming up behind them to push them. It's simply a matter of, in this moment, in the quietness, do I trust God or not? Will I go or will I stay? They chose to stay. Their hearts weren't right. And their heart not being right showed itself in disobedience. And now we get here with Joshua and and God says, look, the time has come. Forty years have passed. The time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. Now, Joshua, nobody's going to be able to stand against you as long as you live. I'm going to be with you the way I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. So here's what I want you to do. Be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess the land that I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Says Joshua, just like it was on Moses before, now it's on you. Lead my people. And he commissions him. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, right? Because a right heart results in obedience. Don't deviate. Don't turn either to the right or the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it night and day so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Listen to me, church. God is saying to Joshua, same thing he says to you, be strong and courageous, right? I want to do something through you. And so here's what you do. Love the word of God. Meditate on it. Know it. Right? But not just dutifully, but joyfully. He says, meditate on it night and day. Let it be in you. Let it be part of who you are. This is the great commissioning that we have. God says, I want to do something through you. We know what that is, Matthew 28. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. How do I do that, God? Well, be confident in me, in your heart. Know the word of the Lord. Know the book. Study the book. Rest in the book. Digest it. Love it. Live it. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm willing to bet that you have one of these in your house. If you don't, take the one from under the chair in front of you. Take it home. Write your name in it. It's yours. If you already have one or you take one from here, then you'll have one at your house read it. Meditate on it. Day and night. Learn to love it. 
Because it will change your heart. And when your heart is right, then there will be blessings from heaven. Not tangible, material blessings. God's not going to buy me a Cadillac, right? That's Aubrey's job. (laughs) Carrie always jokes that Aubrey, when she gets rich and famous, that she has to buy her a Cadillac. You know what Aubrey's response is? I'll get you a used one. (laughs) But, but listen, that's not the kind of blessings. But you know what the blessings are that God promises? Obedience. Get it in your heart. Love it. Live it. Be obedient. Why? Because God will pour blessings on you. And those blessings are about you doing the job that he gave Israel. Doing the job that he gives you. Speaking for him. Making disciples. Changing people's destinies. Having a life of purpose and passion and worth. This is, this is the thing. This is what it's supposed to be. And that's what he tells Joshua. He's like, love my law. Love the book. Meditate on it. Know it. Joyfully follow it through. Don't deviate even a little bit. Just, just be who you are. So then, here's what he tells Joshua. Choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. Right? Sound familiar? Those were the spies that went in the land. This time he says, take 12 from each tribe. Here's what they're going to do. Instead of going and spying on the land and telling people what they think, they're just going to demonstrate obedience by either stepping into the river or not. He said, the priests will carry the ark of the Lord for all the earth as soon as their feet touch the water. Right? God doesn't say, I'll dry it up first. He doesn't say, I'll I'll make it safe first. He says, as soon as they step into the water, which should consume them, I will cut off the flow of water from upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. And this time, the people are obedient. It was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. It was dangerous. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. And the water below that point followed on until the riverbed was dry. Then all of the people crossed over the river in near the town of Jericho. And now the people have entered into the land. See, it happened 40 years ago where they had the opportunity, but out of the wellspring of their hearts was rebellion against God. And that's what came out of their mouths was, no, we can't do it. 40 years have passed. God's judgment on the generation that wouldn't go has come to fruition and they're back where they started. And now through Moses, God said, or through Joshua, God says to the people, okay, now we're going to try again. What's in your heart this time? And out of the wellspring of their heart was an obedience and a willingness and a desire to follow God. And they stepped into the river and and the waters parted. And they walked through on dry land near Jericho, ready to conquer the land that God had given them. And you'd be like, that is the end of the story. But it's not. Because first, God's going to do one more thing to check their heart. He says, oh, by the way. Like, you guys, some of you, you like, you know this story well, but this next part, we, we skip over this part because it feels weird. And it is. And it feels painful because it would be. Who's got a flint knife at home? I don't. In my mind, it must be really, really sharp. Right? Because God says this before they can conquer the land. He's going to check their obedience to him one more time. He says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Make flint knives 
and let's circumcise everybody. Let's circumcise everybody. Right? You know, the second time, the second generation of Israelites, let's be obedient in this. Right? And you'll remember way back with Abram and all the way through with, with the Israelites when they left Egypt, they had been obedient to, to the covenant of circumcision. God said, this is the sign of the covenant, that you are to be circumcised right? That you're to show obedience in this way. It's a way you enter into the covenant community of Israel. But in the, the generation of wandering in the wilderness, that never happened. It happened before, but for the 40 years they wandered and a new generation was born and raised up and is now ready to enter the land, it never happened. So God said, before we're going to conquer, you're going to demonstrate obedience. And they did. They were circumcised. And in case you're wondering, the word does specifically tell us that before they went and got into battle, they waited the appropriate number of healing days. That's important. I thought that was important. Maybe you don't care. They enter, and then God says, okay, let's celebrate the Passover. So they celebrate the Passover. And there's something incredible that happens here that says that their heart was right, and because their heart was right, God brings a blessing. While the Israelites were camped on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. That's when Passover is, right? So they had their unleavened bread. They, they did their Passover celebration, roasted grain. But get this, the very next day after the Passover, they ate food from the land. Roasted grain harvested from the land. The land they'd been promised generations ago with Abraham. God says, your hearts are right. You've entered the land. I'm going to give it to you. And so he says, you're going to eat from this land that's yours. And he stops something. The manna that had been falling in the desert for 40 years. For 40 years, God had been making manna rain from heaven to feed his people. But he says, now you're in the land. You are no longer wanderers. You are no longer slaves. You are entering the land I gave you as a free people dedicated to me and you are to be a nation of priests to tell people that there's a God in heaven that desires to have a relationship with them that wants to offer them the same freedom and peace and forgiveness that wants to make them right this is the point and, and at this point listen I'm not even going to tell you about the conquering you're like but Matt what happens next they conquer they conquer the land that God promised them that is an afterthought it's an afterthought because the thing that they were going to do was just be obedient, right? They never had to themselves conquer anybody because God was always going to do that. They never themselves had to solve the conundrum of how do we defeat the giants with the big walls and the moats and the scary swords. No, no, they didn't have to do any of that. God was always going to do that. They just had to be obedient out of the wellspring of their heart that loves God and is dedicated to God, obedience had to flow. And when obedience flows, God takes care of the rest. I mean, you know how they get Jericho. They march around the city and blow trumpets and the walls just fall down. And I, here's what I'm going to tell you as we close up. God wants to do the very same thing in your life with whatever enemies you've got. Like he's, he, he, he is telling you, I've got this. I've got it. But out of the wellspring of your heart, what's in your heart, let it be obedience to God that just flows out. 
let that be true. And when that's true, something is going to happen and God is going to fight for you. And I mean, this is just the reality. This is what it is. I loved our, our, our elder retreat. We prayed. We sang. We cried. Some of us cried. Some of us were more stoic. You can decide for yourselves who is who. Right? But, but you know what? Lowell, Lowell shouted a lot. I don't know if you know this, but Elder Lowell is a shouter. Hallelujah! Right? Sometimes you ain't expecting it. But here's the thing. When, when Lowell shouted, that was, that was a natural response from the wellspring of his heart that loves God and wants to be obedient to God. That came out. When, when somebody else blubbered, that was out of the wellspring of a heart that was obedient to God, and that's what came out. When somebody else mumbled quietly or spoke in their voice, that was out of obedience to God, and it was in the wellspring of their heart, and it just, it's what came out. Listen, your heart is what matters. Yes, it will look like obedience, but it will look like obedience because of what's in the wellspring of your heart. We saw it. God called Israel to a covenant commitment, right? Because he wanted to bless them, not for their own sake, but to be a blessing to the world. And when they are obedient to that, it works. When they're disobedient to that, it doesn't. And the same is true in your life. I want to encourage you this morning as we close in prayer to be obedient to God in this way. To check your heart. How do you check your heart? Know his word. If you're like, Matt, I've been obedient, but I don't really know that I really am doing it from a place in, in the heart. I want to encourage you in this. Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. And at the end of the Gospels, ask yourself, how do I feel about that Jesus? Can I follow him? Am I excited to follow him? And if the answer is yes, that's your heart being aligned with his. And if your answer is no, then I'm going to give you this very serious piece of advice. Read them again. And you're like, okay, just keep doing it. Yes, just keep doing it, right? Because when you read the Gospels of Jesus Christ and you understand who he is and you interact with who he is, it will change your heart. So just keep doing it. Because out of the wellspring of a heart, we speak and we act. And the heart is what matters. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth. Thank you that you love us and that you care for us. Thank you that you provided a way for us. Thank you that, that in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant community, symbolically, we could experience freedom from shame and sin through the sacrificial system. And thank you, thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, so that in him we can, in totality, in finality, experience freedom from sin and shame. God, collectively as a body, as a pastor, as elders, and as a body, we ask you, check our hearts. Help our hearts to be right with you. God, help our hearts to, to have a wellspring of goodness that's rooted in you and love for you so that what comes out of us is obedience that's rooted in the right place. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen. Listen, have a great rest of your Sunday. Thanks for being here this morning.